0: Welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. I'm very happy to be able to bring a new podcast after a longer than planned summer break. This one is with Yolanta Burke. She's a positive psychologist and she works as a senior lecturer and associate leader of the MAPCP program at University of East London. And she also has her own consultancy business. The audio quality isn't as good as it could be, apologies. But I'm sure you'll still feel and hear Yolanta's enthusiasm and passion for her work. It really is infectious. I initially wanted to talk to her because of her work around positive organisations, but we start off talking about her own PhD experiences and how she dealt with burnout during that process and the importance of for her of finding a place of harmonious rather than obsessive passion. She talks about how this now influences her work supervising her own students and her work as an academic, and she also shares her experiences working in industry in creating positive workplaces, and how she thinks we could improve this in our workplaces and academia as well. And she shares her passion for finding ways to communicate our research to help people and to make a better world. I hope you find this as inspiring as I did. Uh, so, thank you, Yolanta, for your time. It's taken us a long time to set this up, hasn't it? Because <laughs> we're. Yes. We've been... <laughs> backwards and forwards for ages but it's great that we finally have got to talk and it's wonderful and you're coming from a slightly different background of working in a different area to lots of other people that I've talked to previously could you just give us a little bit of a background about where you're coming from just for context <laughs>
1: Sure. Um, I have been working in business for many, many years, almost 20 years in managerial roles mainly. I was very lucky to actually have been promoted to my first managerial role when I was, I think, about six months in the business, um, which was very early. And I was thrown into the deep end and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I just, the company I worked for at the time, invested loads of money into me to teach me, which was wonderful. Um. So over two years, I've learned loads, and then I moved on to another role. Uh, so I mainly worked as a um, learning and development manager, but also as a, H manager, a HR, HR manager. Um, and then after a while, I've uh, been just interested in the type of information that was uh, given to us business people or trainers in business. And I started to doubt it all because we heard so many mixed views about how we should do things. And I got interested then into, in in the whole area of research, what is research all about? How, what can I get out of it as a practitioner? And I've realised that a lot of the approaches that we took in business were just um, incorrect. That we were making a lot of assumptions that were that had absolutely no basis mm-hmm. uh, for them. And I I would be listening to or reading books or listening to talks of people who who mentioned maybe research, but they didn't really go into it. And then when I tried to find sources for um, of, of whatever they said, I couldn't find them. So they were all tales that they were saying and they just were adding research says. Mm. Um, and the famous one being the Yale study about goal setting and how some people suddenly have achieved God knows what in their life because they've set goals. Apparently that study never even took place. But everybody in business talks about
0: it. So it's got mythical status.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I actually wish that somebody had someday, mm-hmm. I don't know, just even, even started, uh, started a, um, some sort of done a little bit of study like this, because it was quite an interesting one, even though it was made up. <laughs> um, but because of that, I decided to actually look at the other side of the research, and it has got me so enthusiastic and mm. so interested that I decided to do the first master and signed up for the second masters and then fell in love with positive psychology and decided to quit my full-time job and do my PhD full-time with the um, University of Dublin Trinity College. Wow. And my life has changed incredibly ever since then. I have been working in academia ever since then and absolutely love it. So what what were the two masters that you did? So the first one was um, in learning and development, um, because that's the job I was doing. And I, my bachelor's was actually in psychology, but I hated psychology after I finished my bachelor's. I didn't want to open another psychological (laughs) book because it was so negative. I really could not stand learning about abnormalities again. So I decided to step away from uh, psychology altogether and um, decided to do master's in the area that I, I did every day at work. And then by the end of my master's, I really missed psychology. And also I came across, <laughs> I know, it's it's funny how it works. I did, psychology always pulls me. Yeah. And, and um. By the end of my um, masters, I decided that I will look into other types of psychology, maybe fields that I might like to develop better. And that's how I came across positive psychology. So mm-hmm. I decided to then do another masters in positive psychology.
0: What's positive psychology then? So you talked about negative psychology and positive psychology
1: so positive psychology is about looking at people slightly differently. that's mm-hmm. how I see positive psychology. It's about looking what's right with people rather than wrong. yeah it's uh, the topics that we research are, also different because we're looking at people's strengths and trying to find out how they can use how we can use our strengths in order to live a better life and that better life is either um, has either something to do with our well-being with our with the way we view world around us or even our performance so in the work context it's actually quite crucial um, but um, it. Positive, I suppose, the, the, the word positive is very unfortunate. And I think Zelligman, who is considered the uh, father of positive psychology, mentioned it himself, that positive psychology should not have been called positive because it's people tend to think it's all about happiness, but yes. there is so much more to it. And the happiness is just a small yes. part of positive psychology. Oh, they think
0: it's just about positive thinking.
1: <laughs> or Exactly. Oh, Which... That drives me crazy <laughs> when you think. Well, why are you thinking critically? You should be positive because you're
0: a positive psychologist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you mentioned the workplace and the reason, one of the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you was some of your work in workplaces and, and around positive psychology. But can I just go back to the master's degree because I'm just really interested about having been out of university for so long and then coming back and doing master's studies. What were, what were the biggest challenges in, I don't know, picking up study habits and that again or going back to uni?
1: um academic writing this was the biggest challenge for me initially and I didn't quite understand the whole concept of carrying out research it took me ages to get it Mm -hmm. and I remember my first I got first class honors in both of them I have no idea how that happened because later on when I was doing my PhD and I was looking back at stuff that I thought I knew uh, about writing or about creating research or designing research writing about it I really didn't have a clue, mm. so I think that um, definitely looking now at students that I supervise, I put so much effort initially into explaining the process, into giving them bigger picture, just the things that I was never given that helped me so much in yeah. during my PhD. So
0: that, that that's interesting I, that you know uh, having had that experience yourself, you're now much more conscious about how you mentor people in. So can you can you say a little bit more specifically about you know, some of the things that you would include in that um,
1: you know, scaffolding Re- and
0: mentoring people yeah. you know, about research
1: and writing? So um, I always, um, I just, I, I talk to them about the process, first of all, so I would go step by step as to what, how how the process of designing a research would um, would look like. So depending on where the student is at, um, if the student us just didn't have a clue as to what topic they wanted, I would then ask them, "What are your interests? What are you in, What what gets you going when you? What type of papers did you enjoy, and or books? And then we just have a conversation around their interest. And then I would say, "Great. So here's what I." thing that we could do in order to move it further and I talk to them step by step next time I'm going to meet you and we're going to discuss this this this, and that by that time you will have x y and z and then the next step is and I literally go through the entire time between the moment I meet them to the moment they submit their final work what type of steps we need to take how I expect them to progress. And then I ask them, what is that they expect of me to help them best progress? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I suppose keeping in touch with them. But my student work is one of the most, this is such a rewarding part of my work. I absolutely love it. I could just do it all the time. And I think I actually have so many supervision students. I just keep saying yes to people. (laughs) Everybody that asks me, I just say, interesting topic. Yes, I'm going to go with it. I just love working with students because I know I'm making a difference in their lives. Oh, that's brilliant! That's magical. <laughs> it feels magical to me too. Yeah. And every time I work with a student and see all this—the doubt in them, the excitement, the apprehension—all of the mixture of emotions—I just, I just see myself back there, and I just want to give them as much as possible. And I, I suppose, I break some of the rules because we are not meant to give students, for example, feedback after a certain amount of, like we we say. Uh, please send us your, your draft and then after that I won't be able to give you feedback. But I, I give feedback to students whenever they need because yeah. I think that I've been there and if my supervisor were yeah. doing it this way, yeah. I just would be able to complete it and I know how stressful that is. Yeah. So
0: And I your students must be so lucky having you and getting all that support. But I how do you how do you negotiate those boundaries with time and that because there's a clear passion and a heart there for wanting to do that and um, but it does take time and there's limited time how do you how do you negotiate
1: how you fit it in it is challenging sometimes I have to say and I guess I don't work nine to five that's the first thing I have to say I'm not one of those people that um, has a clear um, you know beginning of my my work starts at this time and finishes at another I actually I'm, I'm constantly checking my emails I'm constantly looking at my phone And um, there's constantly my, my life is constantly evolving around like my work is part of my life and um, I very often work from my home office I don't go into the university when I have to go I go to the university but I'm actually very comfortable this is the office where I did my PhD mm-hmm. and so um, when, when I was doing my PhD my work was like this um but um, now as I started working for the university it still continues it's just my life it's my work but I, I don't mean that I don't have life outside of work but I manage it in a way that allows me to take a break I make sure that I go for a walk for example every single day during the day unless at the university, or I have a meeting, or there's something else happening. But when I'm working from the office, my I, I would take time out throughout the day, and um, I would go back to it. So I don't even know how many hours I work, to be honest. Right. <laughs> because of, of this approach, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, because I uh... no, just. Uh, one other thing that I was just thinking about is um, that. I was always worried that uh, perhaps because I'm so passionate about what I do, that my passion is very often, that maybe my passion falls into obsessive. But if I am really aware of the obsession because I did go through a stage of obsessive passion during my PhD. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, my supervisor actually gave me advice at the beginning of my PhD to live and breathe my PhD topic. Yeah. And when I heard him say that, because I'm passionate anyway about things, yeah. when I heard him say that, I just went OT over the top. Okay. And I started to wake up in the middle of the night with ideas, knotting them down in my little notepad, going, meeting with my friends and thinking about PhD and actually thinking to myself, I should be at home studying right now. So I got myself completely caught up in this kind of... Um, PhD frenzy and obsessive passion about it, and it made me feel very sick after three months. And I actually burnt out within three months of my PhD. And I remember just calling my supervisor and saying, I can't do it like this. I need to take time out because I've got into obsessive passion without even realizing it. And I took a month out of my PhD and I said, I'm I'm going home. I'm going to my mom (laughs) and that's exactly what I did. I just went back to my home place and I just met up with my old friends and my family. My mom made me uh, dinners and I just uh, went there for a couple of weeks and then I traveled a little bit and then I came back refreshed i um, refocused and the rest of the PhD, most of the time that I spent, I did it within three years. So, most of the time that I spend on my PhD, I, I, I try to always be aware of that harmonious passion. And I slam. So, I don't think, even though I've just said that I live my life within like 24 hours is my. <laughs> lifespan or work span anytime. Okay, obviously I do I do go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear that. <laughs> but I just I, I still have a lot of great stuff going on and work is not the only thing that gets me going. Yeah. I have other stuff in my life that gets me going just yeah. as well. I
0: I really like that distinction you made there between obsessive passion and harmonious passion. Like you don't have to give up a passion. It's a way it's a finding a way of Integrating it in a, in a, I don't know, holistic is probably not the right word, but in a in a healthy way. So, what were some of the particular, I don't know, differences or strategies that you put in place? Then coming back after
1: your month off, I first, it's they were to do with flow. Interestingly enough, so. Uh, feeling engaged like PhD engaged me incredibly I love positive psychology and I have such massive curiosity that I sometimes get involved in too many things and just I enjoy it and that's why I do it I'm just I'm just driven by this this pleasure kind yeah. of uh, for for uh, reading and learning and um, but what I decided to do is uh, try and find something physical so I always I I have to walk away from my office so my office is only for work and this is my rule I do not do pleasure here it's like I would never watch a movie on my uh, mac for example it's a beautiful screen but no it would never happen I would never read a a book I, I read one book per like Silly book, kind of a silly book. And what I mean by silly book is um, something really light, like chiclet. I have to read one per per month. And to force myself to do it, I have set up a book club. (laughs) Oh, wow. and this was after the PhD kind of uh, you know with, um, a time when I when I when I became very obsessed about my work I decided so I, I basically put a note up in my local uh, coffee shop I live in a little village and I put up a note in my local coffee shop I put it up online and I just said whoever is interested in reading like rubbishy books, but just for pleasure, please contact me. And we've created a fantastic group that keeps going still. Every month we meet. And the the group actually forces me to read um and something really light. I need one of these books mm-hmm. a month. <laughs> mm-hmm. And So this is giving me, and then walking away, so I I love hiking, so I make sure that I go hiking, and especially when the times are really hectic, I always make sure that I go hiking, and my friends, I have to see my friends twice a week. If I don't see them, I can feel the stress coming onto me. So I need to have time out for just my friends and just to sit down and talk about nothing.
0: So you know the the pieces in your life that need to be, I don't know, have a fill up every week
1: yes yes and i yeah. i need i always look at my calendar i have my calendar goes out like months in advance mm. and every week if i see that i don't have something that would give me that balance scheduled um, I, I I really make sure that I do, and that could be as simple thing as even going off and and I don't know to the local gallery and seeing what type of stuff they have, or yeah. just to get out. And this is why I said that my work is not nine to five. And I think that, and actually I read somewhere that apparently a younger generation. Um, this is how they work. They don't. Their 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 emails, for example, are not there all. The, and not are not there just during the working hours. They actually go outside, and it doesn't bother them. And I got to a stage when it doesn't bother me. Mm. Uh, now that said, some of the sometimes there are, there are some days when I decide, or some weeks sometimes when I decide, okay, I need to take time out because maybe I have a lot of stuff going on. Um, in in my maybe another part of my life, so I need to uh, close off my work emails, and I close it off after whatever time in the evening and go back to it. So there are days when I feel I need to do that, but um, most of the time I actually don't have that need because I try to fill my day in kind of blocks that would relax me a little bit, and yeah. I have a dog that I go out with also. Oh, who demands but, uh, just, that you go out? Yeah. So this is all just in because I was. It was a scary time. those three months. It really was. And even at the end of my PhD, I was really busy. But it was not as obs- I was not as obsessed as I was in those three. The first three months of my PhD, I've never. I've experienced something like this before in my business world. But um, I really try not to get go there again because it's just a too dangerous place to get into.
0: Yeah and it's it's interesting because it sounds like you're saying in some ways that you could be doing the same amount of work but the character of it and how you're approaching it is really really different. Oh
1: definitely definitely. I think that I still people who know me they know that I'm constantly involved in loads of projects. I I have I'm really sometimes too many projects and I pull myself back many times but I do consciously look for balance and I just, my mental health is one of the most, that's why I became a psychologist and uh, also health, positive psychologist, because my mental health is really important mm. to me and m- minding it because that that I am the only person that can do it for myself. Mm. Really. Nobody else can. People can co- comment things, give me feedback or suggest things, but I am the only one that can actually do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You are the only one who can actually do it. and So, like, nothing in your
1: circumstances changed. No, it was you. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's it. Because we are creators of our own life at the end of the day. We are, we carve our own life. And when things don't work, this is wonderful about life. You can always take a step back and just fix it and then go on again and make another mistake and then learn from it and keep going like this. Mm. But, uh, you know, it sounds like I have it, I have, I have it all figured out. I don't. <laughs> I don't. And there are days when I'm overwhelmed. But when I'm overwhelmed, I stop myself. I have this awareness now after what happened before um, as to where not to go. And I created on a scale. I actually have like a scale in my head that I've created after this event, after the getting into this obsessive passion, burning out. I have a scale from one to ten. And when I know that I'm reaching around seven, it's time for me to stop. And even if I have to do something, like if I'm standing and giving a talk, obviously I won't stop.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, but if it is just a normal day. Uh, it happened to me in the past when I just realized, oh God, I've gone too far. I need mm. to pull back. Mm. So once I reach seven,
0: yeah,
1: I need yeah. to pull back.
0: Yeah. So that constant self-reflection, self-awareness.
1: Yes. Right? It, it is a huge yeah. part of my daily life. Yeah. It's, I think it has to be. It has to be to... To live a life like I live, uh, like a busy life. Mm -hmm. And I think for anybody who lives a busy life, because otherwise you just get lost, burnt out. And that's what could happen to some people. And it does happen to some people where they go too far all the time. They burn out. Then they have to take a long time out. um, And then often get back into this or completely withdraw. And I just, I've, I've been there. I've done it. I don't want it. So I need to protect my peace and quiet
0: was your supervisor okay when you went back to them and said i can't do it that way
1: yes he was really understand understanding and he actually said take whatever time you need oh, cool. um, he was brilliant he is a psychotherapist psychologist psychotherapist so i'd say he's dealt with these type of um, situations frequently and i was very lucky to have him for my supervisor um, but I know that not every supervisor would possibly say that. And some people would push you even further and say, well, this is PhD. And he didn't know me a lot at this st- At this stage, he only knew me for three months and not even much. He just knew that I just had, I was crazy about positive psychology. And I've had maybe two or three meetings with him and that's it. Mm. And yet, um, he gave me that space that I really badly needed. Yeah. But that's what I always try and put into my work with my students um, and when they see them overwhelmed and I did have one particular student I can think of uh, recently who just became terribly overwhelmed and usually I would meet students once a week, once a month Mm -hmm. to to help them with their um, uh, research and maybe give them some tasks that they can uh, work on for a month and come back to me. But with this person, I actually met her every single week for um, as long as I needed, because I knew that if I don't do it, the same thing could happen to her. And thank God that everything worked out well. And after a while, she didn't need to meet with me that often. So we didn't even go through all of the. Well, maybe we've gone over the uh, required amount of time with students you know, student, um, student um, uh Supervisor time, but it really didn't matter because I possibly didn't do as many meetings with other students. So it's 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 okay. it's all worked out well for me, but for the student, it meant a lot yeah. to her. Yeah.
0: Were there university support
1: structures in place that you could have accessed? That's true. Yeah, I could have accessed them, and I have actually suggested that the students should go for cancelling. Mm. and I'm um. I think that when I suggested it, and I suggested it, I think at our third or fourth meeting, and when I suggested it, um, I think she realized that, yes, maybe there is a problem I really need to to address. And this is when she started to address the problem. Um, So, yes, there were structures that I could um, access, and I have... Somewhat access them, but I didn't want to to send her off for um, cancelling because cancelling is sometimes for some people cancelling actually sounds very serious, um, and they take it very very personally. And I never throw it around. Um. Yeah,
0: but I, I'm just I'm just looking here. Um, I think there was an article just recently, wasn't there, a research paper published about PhD students and stress and. You know, um, just that it's becoming increasingly problematic for people. And yeah, so, you know, the thing that you said about sometimes the counselling services are there, but it just doesn't seem like a right avenue.
1: I agree. I agree with you. There's, I don't know exactly why that is. The only way I can explain it personally, I haven't, by the way, just before I even tell you what my views on it are, recently I've come across a good few people that. Have done their PhD and don't want to have anything to do with the topic of their PhD, and that and it. It wasn't just one or two people. Good, good few people, mm. and one person sticks out because she spent seven years on her PhD. Incredible study she did with. She was she. Um, I think. She did something in chemistry and she actually added so much value to people with cancer. And suddenly she decided to work in a bookshop. The last few years, she's been working in a bookshop. um, And I said, would you not consider even finding a job in the lab and helping out more? And she said, no, I'm completely burnt out. The thought of going back into this topic and studying it further or working with it is just beyond me. And this is years ago that she actually finished her PhD now and she can't get back to it. And it makes me really sad. And I think that something is definitely wrong. We got it wrong. Um, we are putting too much pressure on people. And I know I know that if I didn't look after myself throughout my PhD, this is where I would have ended up. But the awareness of the passion that I've had, so the the, the obsessive versus harmonious passion made all the difference. And interesting enough, my supervisor initially, being even a psychologist, so he has great awareness of people and how they work and how we think, how we behave, and all that. Even even though he had all this awareness, he still said, you've got to. He pushed me at the beginning because he didn't know what type of a person I am. So he maybe thought that I needed to be externally motivated. So he pushed me and said, you've got to keep working hard. You have to b- live and breathe your topic. You have to think about it all the time. And this is actually, looking back at it, this is one of the worst pieces of advice you could, yeah. I could have got. Yeah. And I actually say to students, when they email me, whenever they get, like some students, they get some these kind of moments when they say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm sorry, I wasn't in touch, I'm completely overwhelmed. And I just tell them, that's absolutely no problem. Go and live your life. If you need to take a break, take a break. And I keep con- I, I keep on even keep on saying to them, fine, your masters matters a lot to you right now, but it's not be all and end all. Yes, exactly. It's not the end of the world. Yep. We can work with this. And if something, if if the time is running out, there are always ways to work yeah. with them to to speed it up or do something different. I had one student, for example, one month left. She didn't do, she she, um, she actually came to me from another supervisor and she didn't have a huge amount done. And she said, I think I need to um, defer my, my research. And I said, why don't you do a theoretical t- paper? Let's flex our style. Now, do you have one month that you can completely devote to a theoretical paper? She says, I do. Do you think it's possible? I said, go and do it. So, again, every week I met with her. She got it. She didn't get a great mark. She got it. But she got, um, I think she got merit in, in it. But she, she it wasn't a distinction anyway, like she was hoping for. But she still passed it. She was happy with it. Yeah. And, and and it's
0: helping people get that perspective, isn't it? Because in the moment that merit versus a distinction might seem like a big trade-off, but no one really cares
1: afterwards.
0: Yeah. And the cost of getting that <laughs> distinction might be so high, like this other person with the burnout, you know, who probably yeah. had a distinction PhD. Yes, you did in, actually, in, in, yeah. 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 You're totally right. Yes. Yeah. But you also point to the importance of um, for people, you know, for those of us who are supervisors, of taking time in the beginning just to get to know people and where they're coming from. Because I can imagine that there might be some people that you need to actually say, you know, like, you, you need to devote more time and attention to this, you know, stop going to the pub all the time or whatever. <laughs> but um, but getting to know people first and working out where they're coming from, it, it suggests that that becomes even more important because students take words of their supervisors very seriously, in that, in, yeah. especially in that early time.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think that it's... This is, this is possibly the most crucial thing in the first meeting. Um, Why are you doing it? What is it that you want to get out of it? And um, now it doesn't work for every student, mind you, because like some students, you might do, I don't know, a lot of, um, of this finding out. And I, I thought that I got, got their motivation going and then, you know, I still had to push them along a little bit somewhere. But that doesn't matter. The fact that you know that you actually take the time to get to know them, I think matters a lot. To them, because you also tweak the way you talk to them, tweak your style, tweak the words that you're saying. And one student, for example, um, he really is very um, motivated by, um, by building his business. And telling people about himself. So I said, "Great! What type of research could you do in order to maybe publish a couple of papers from it and tell people about yourself and about the work you do?" And and he is just so he's every time he's just so enthusiastic because this is what he's working towards. This is his life he's working towards, not some pieces that he has to do and finish. And um, and then other people are. There was one lady who has been working volunteering for an organization, and and um, that was this is what was getting like she doesn't want to to have a career out of it she just wants to she was passionate about this topic so she wanted to study this and that got her going so yeah getting to know the student absolutely jerry i think this is crucial yeah, yeah. And to knowing when to push and when not to push, yeah. because sometimes if a supervisor would be like my supervisor supervisor was very less affair with me, and sometimes I needed him to be a little bit more um I don't know, even managing a little bit my expectations or maybe directing me a little bit mm-hmm. more. And I uh, and some people are telling me that this is what their manager, what their supervisor was like. Mm-hmm. They were telling them everything that I had to do, and that, that was driving them crazy. So actually. Finding out where is your student? Should I do less affair? Should I be a little bit more autocratic here? Should I be um, a little bit um, more detail oriented there?
0: And every student's so different as well. Yes. It's just yeah, yeah and yes. You know, sometimes you, I feel like you, you hit it, and then sometimes I feel like I've, I've never managed to quite work out how to connect or um, motivate a student.
1: I know, I know. And I have I have a couple of students like this as well and they are a puzzle to me. Yes. <laughs> but I'm I'm actually challenged by it. I don't know how you feel about it. I'm really challenged. I'm I'm working hard on trying to to get there and there's gotta be a way. I just have to find it. And sometimes
0: I just try to have the conversation too about I don't feel like I'm connecting with you know connecting in the right way for you and what what do you need and you know it, just trying to actually explicitly name it and bring it up as a topic yeah. of conversation. Not that it always ends yeah. up in a you know, good solution, but
1: yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, yes, I, I told. I think it's a great idea to do it because transparency is what what can make us grow. And I yeah. think sometimes if if the two people don't know where they're at, they feel it, but nobody says a thing. So I think that yeah, it's a great thing to just name it. Um, I I don't really I don't think that there is a connection or. Yeah, what can we do in order to grow this? Yeah. But I'm
0: curious as well that you you're clearly this um passionate and uh people oriented person and yet you work from home in an office rather than going into the office. How does that work for you in terms of the I don't know, the, the sort of missing the do you miss the social aspects of, of the workplace or
1: no, not at all. <laughs> i this is this is a puzzle for me too, because I'm actually an introvert <laughs> kind of in the middle, um but more on the introverted side, and I actually get tired um with too many people around me. And I share an office with um, one, two, three other people. And I just find it really difficult to concentrate. Um, and I, I, I ne- I'm never effective when I'm actually in the office. I, I go there whenever I have to say hello to people. And very often when I get there, I spend a lot of time talking to everybody. And it's great. But then I go home and I do the work. And that's how I have always done it. I've always, um, even in business, I've always had my own office. I've always had the peace and quiet i didn't I did go out and talk to people um outside of the office i've always had been communicating with people my my whole day I actually don't feel that I'm on my own at all because I always have meetings so i have my day is very structured in the morning. I never have meetings unless somebody has has like they they really can't flex it and they say i really can only meet you in the morning then I say fine I'll do it no problem but I try to um, arrange all the meetings in the afternoon so in the morning I get up I do um the writing some projects that that require a lot of attention and then in the afternoon people keep me occupied <laughs> right.
0: That's good. So, you, you, balance. <laughs> so you work best and you know you work best in the morning just getting that best concentrated
1: Yes, yeah. morning is my time, and I I actually get up really early in the morning. I love getting up early, so I'm up sometimes at five or six o'clock. I know. That's I'm sorry. Pretty, no, I just I, did I, the bad guy thing. That's so early. I just Work. I work. I have loads of energy. I'm like a energy, like a bunny. <laughs> Right, let's go. I make myself, I have a routine going and I make myself a cup of coffee, have my breakfast, have another cup of coffee. And while I do all this, I, I take the news and find out what I've missed out and when I was asleep.
0: <laughs> so, do you, do you read email? So, you said you keep in touch with email a lot. Are you reading email in the morning as well, or do you turn off email to do that work?
1: I don't switch on my email until around nine o'clock and um, then I have a quick look at it and I just put things into my diary. My diary is my life. This is, this just, I have, I have, I I put everything in there so I don't have to remember it. And um, I plan quickly. So if I sometimes, if there are quick emails, I'll answer them. But most of the time I leave the emails until the afternoon. Right.
0: Wow. So you, you've you done some research in that and also connecting to your past life around workplaces and I, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you was uh, having heard you just mention that you are writing a book about positive psychology in the workplace and one of the things that I think people are increasingly reporting in academia a lot is the increasing pressure of the workplace and... So I'm just curious to hear what some of your perspectives and experiences might be and and also to explore maybe later on what might be some of the little things that we can all do to try to create better workplaces, work environments for each other.
1: Yes, I, I have. That's true. Sure, I have started I I I've started I've always been interested in the workplace and positive psychology. I've applied positive psychology in the workplace many, many years ago because when I was doing my masters years ago, uh, it was almost ten years ago now, um, actually over ten years ago, um, I. But when I was doing it, I was also working full time, and I had very intense work. Very um, oh, I, I did all of this yes. So um, all of my um, all of my masters and the all of my education, apart from my PhD, were actually part time. And I worked full time during this time. So. I also worked with big, like well, the, the company that I worked for at the time when I was doing my master's was actually, um, a, I was like an internal consultant almost for them because there were five companies I've worked with, so five CEOs I had to work with. And um, I had so many fantastic opportunities to apply everything I've learned in these companies. And I did not miss out on this opportunity. I was constantly suggesting things. I've read a paper. I've seen some piece of research and said hey why don't we try this why don't we try that so a lot of the interventions in positive psychology I've already tried them by the time I even finished my master's with other people and at the time it was very new for them so when I when I, I I've, I've stayed even though I, I'm not really working in business anymore uh, but I'm still consulting and I've been consulting for businesses um all along and I I actually with my um with, the, with my lecturing, I don't do full-time for that reason because I really like being part, having my own consultancy and, and mm-hmm. working with businesses. And... Um, when I, I suppose because of all of the stuff that I've done before and the, the association of positive psychology and uh, the business school in Trinity College where I worked um, when I when I, I was doing my PhD asked me to deliver talks and I've been doing these talks for years now uh, to MBA students and then from that somebody else heard about me and said hey would you like to work with our uh, masters in management students so I said sure why not I'll give them a talk or two but then they asked me to deliver the entire module for them for uh, applying positive psychology way so this is a positive organization kind of module mm-hmm. and it's actually this it, it was such a great fun doing this um so I said, absolutely, So now I'm a visiting lecturer there and I've created this module on um, uh, applying positive psychology in uh, organizations. But I, I got to a stage where I wanted to recommend one book to students that they could actually use and learn about the different aspects of positive psychology that I'm teaching them. And I couldn't find that book. So I said, Jesus, I have to just sit down and write it quickly. So. Um, that's exactly how the idea of the book came about. It's not that I just, I want to change the world. I just want to help students know about it, but I just don't have a book that I can recommend. So I decided to write it myself. So I am now almost finishing the book. So I'm uh, discussing now with one of the um, publishers um, to to have it published. So um, hopefully by the end of the year, uh, it will will go into the editing kind of stage and it's going to be published maybe next year or the year afterwards.
0: It's interesting that that's also Driven by your passion for students and helping oh, and supporting yeah. students, that's funny. <laughs> I suppose, but, yeah. but, um, so, what's a positive organization
1: and what's an intervention? So, yeah. So, first of all, intervention is like an exercise, uh, an activity that, uh, or a series of activities that you can use to help people live a good life or better life to improve something in their lives. So, one example, for uh, it was in one company I worked. Uh, I collaborated with, um, they asked me to help their salespeople become more motivated. So this is how it all began. But as I started chatting with the managing director of the company, I've noticed that the guy wasn't motivated at all. So I said, how can they be motivated? And I actually told him that I said, "I've, I've seen, I've noticed that you don't have much energy, much, much enthusiasm for it. Do you actually believe that they can become better? It was in the middle of recession, by the way. And he says, no actually, you're right. I don't believe that they can become better. So I said, well, how do you expect them to believe it if you don't believe it? And I just had a bit of a laugh with him over this. But um, but I, I, he actually reflected upon it. He said, Jesus, yes, tell me what we can do. And I said, here's what I believe we could do. Let, instead of working on trying to get them motivated and talk to them about motivation, let's just let me talk to, to the, the team first of all and see what's happening there. And what I believed was that everybody was really pessimistic about their chances of them selling. And this was the real problem, not the fact that they didn't have motivation yeah. per se. So I actually introduced a program and uh, um, this was the, my in, intervention. So a three hour program for all the salespeople in the company. So there were 150 of them. I had, I think there were 15 of them in each group and I basically taught them optimism. Um, in their own way so I asked them to talk to me about what's happening and did like a cognitive walk with them trying to re um reframe their thoughts based on positive psychology but they actually didn't know I was teaching them Positive psychology, they didn't even know the words, they didn't know that it is an intervention, they didn't know about optimism, nothing like this. I just basically used some of the stuff that I knew from positive psychology to help them reframe their thinking. Mm. And then we introduced another intervention after that for uh, five or six weeks, I can't remember, where the managers had to introduce loads of positivity every week. So silly things were happening, I got them to decide what they wanted to do, so a lady who was really serious, everybody was scared of her, she dressed up as a waitress and she served tea in the morning to one of the staff, Like so she basically reversed all the roles and pictures were taken and they went viral around the whole company, loads of laughter and silly things like this happened. So. After this intervention, the, these two interventions, uh, three months later, the managing director contacted me and said that their market share has increased by 11%, and they've never seen their customer service results as good as um, as then. So apparently, uh, clients were mentioning spontaneously things like, your team are so positive. They are so positive in this terrible environment of recession. And these are the interventions that... That can, in my opinion, make a big difference to yeah. people's lives. And when you asked about positive organization, this is just an example of an intervention. But personally, I don't believe that it's all about creating happy workers. I don't. I think it's too, it's simplifying things. And quite frankly, would I like, It's it, I'd like to attend a program that would allow me to learn about it. But I don't think that as an organization, you have a responsibility to make people happy. Yeah. I think that you can, create an environment that's of openness, maybe, environment of uh, transparency. And that comes from leaders very often, but also other people and even the recruitment of people and making sure that you, you take on not only people who are great at what they do, but also people who, connect with others well who are the energizers of everybody because as a leader you could ha- you could actually be this this energy you could have great ideas you pass it on to your team and somebody on your team could be so de-energizing that no matter how good you are the team wants to take this on board so i think positive organizations to me are organizations that understand the importance of working on people's strengths on creating an environment that has a nice balance of you know creating positive emotions but also negative emotions they are really important in many situations but understanding this rather than being um very um um, i suppose limited in your views on and maybe focus on one theory or another i think that's what's important And we definitely need to come out, go out to organizations with that message. And unfortunately, the positive in positive psychology sometimes is stopping us from doing it because the managers, leaders would straight away say, you know what? We don't need. We know that positivity is nice and happiness and well-being, but this is not what it is about. And it is not about happiness. Positive organization is about high performance. It's about getting the best out of people and for people to get the best out of each other. Yeah,
0: yeah. What's your experience, having worked in all the in cross sectors of um, industry, like that sort of business as an organisation, and I don't know, an academic department or a university as an organisation? What do you think are the key I don't know, differences or challenges?
1: It's very different. It's really different, and I don't want to be offending anyone. Okay, and I hope I that think it's you should just I go ahead. Should, now I'm <laughs> so and, um I, I I just don't I really don't mean to be offending one group or another. Um, but this is just my own views and only my own views on this. I just think that in business people are too focused on money, and which is why I got out of business mm-hmm. because they were not idealistic enough for me. <laughs> I love helping people, I love to change people's lives, and they didn't allow me to do that because what was getting in the way were the money. Yeah. Um money was always number one, but in Academia, it's completely reversed. It's all about ideas, but not enough thinking about money. And I'd love a happy balance. And I'm just, I'd love for, I just, I I think that there is is a place there that could create that happy balance. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that academics very often understand it. And I think that academics work in silos. And in business, we worked as teams. So often we would be meeting and, you know, Even, you know, sitting around the table and saying, hey, I would be asking managing directors, what are your financial statements? Give me what you want financially from people so that I can create programs that could actually make a difference and we can measure it. But in academia, it's about, right, let's just do the the great ideas, write a book and, you know, just just talk about this and my idea is the best idea rather than sitting around the table and saying hey what do we have here how can we use this can we actually help people outside by creating maybe a consultancy in the academy and use our knowledge to help others that's what i'd love to see and that would make academia money and also would would add create happier people outside because we, are, we, we, are, we should be working and doing research to help others, mm. not just because we want to publish a paper. Mm. And in some ways the, the
0: equivalent of the money in academia now in terms of the drivers is, is the number of papers and the amount of grants <laughs> yes, you've got in. that's and, true. Yes. You know, um, which...
1: Pressure, pressure, pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Yes, yeah. Every, yeah. every time I have any review coming up, I panic and I and I quickly finished one of the papers I started and never finished. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh Jesus Christ, please do something because I need to write that at least something is in press or under review or something." You're right, you're completely right, and I feel very bad about it because I love doing so many other things that sometimes that bit, like I, I would prefer personally, I would prefer to write to people a book for people to help them live a good life rather than write a paper about something that I've done, but I know that both I need it. But it's just, I think that, um, yeah, I, I still have this conflict, and I think that when you are maybe a, a more um, experienced academic, um, perhaps you're very clear, this is what I need to do, I need to write my papers. But for me, I, I'm constantly in this conflict. I want to help others. That's mm. my focus. And research is to help others, not necessarily
0: yeah. to, to publish. So you you have a sort of a satisfying strategy then?
1: Yes, I guess I do. Yes, as long as it's enough to,
0: to, to <laughs> sort of keep the tick in the box.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, I do. When it comes to papers, when it comes to books, I have a different attitude because I want a much more. F- I, I'd loved. Um, I'm. Uh, this book. After finishing this book, I'm working on another project that is really exciting for me, and I'm. I'm already talking to um, to an agent about writing like a popular book just so that I will go to more groups of people to help them because who reads academic uh, books very rarely people in my people who are in business I I don't know anyone unless they did a master's they don't read academic books yeah
0: so you're you're actually very active in this way now that I think about it Yeah. because you play this out not just in writing your books but you've had a radio slot uh, yes. in the, in yes. and you've also got a a, a youtube channel where you're yes. you're That's giving right. some short lectures or short yes. talks about some of these things
1: That's really important for me, Jerry. This is more important to me than anything else. And I think sometimes, sometimes I feel bad about it, I have to say, because I live in amongst all these famous writers and researchers, you know, I listen to my colleagues, you know, changing the world and creating new models. And all I'm interested in is. You know, when, I, when I'm curious about something, when I think, oh my gosh, research is not really clear on this and I need to help people understand it better, then I go in and I actually do a study that would answer that question and maybe another study that would confirm it. But I would not actually be focusing on this as much as helping people outside of academia because I've spent so much time there and I know how little people know about research in like on everyday basis they I don't want them to be reading the likes of um Tim Robbins is it Tim Robbins this guy's name Robbins and I just think that it's nice and motivational but it is empty it's going back to
0: to your Yale um, goals
1: yeah and I just think that we in academia have a responsibility to to share that wonderful knowledge that's there. Like there's so much wonderful stuff that nobody knows about. And this is why I was driven to go out there to create YouTube channel for people to actually show them that. And my idea was actually to even, initially I was thinking I'm gonna have a section there where I take academic papers that nobody has written uh, or nobody has written popular article about and tell people about it because the best audience, people like actually, hearing stuff, audio, visual kind of communication is very um, accessible to people. So I thought, let me do this for people. Some of the interesting stuff to help them live a good life. So that was the idea. And I took a break now over the uh, summertime, but I'm uh, returning actually next week to it. And I'm going to continue. This is my mission to help to make a better world. So our research. <laughs> we will
0: make, I'll make sure to put the links to all of this at the end of the web page. Um, oh, thank for the, you very much. So that people can go and listen and look. Thank and you. So it's just interesting that is there space in academia? So, is there, so there's in some countries, there is the rhetoric about um, public understanding and public engagement, and they want people to do more of this bridging sort of academia and the general public and and doing this communication, in the system that you work in and in your discipline, is that valued
1: or recognised? Yeah, I think it is valued. Um, And uh, some of my colleagues actually on the team have written popular books and one of them actually has gone into, so he started writing academic books and now he actually Um, started to write or wrote the first popular book. And actually, the agent that I'm speaking with right now about the popular book I'm thinking, I actually got from him. So it is something that I think is actually very much um, uh, recognized. And I think that um, I, I, I suppose still it is being looked upon as the worst version of what you can write, so, you, you know, writing a textbook possibly would be much more highbrow and it would be better for me to yeah. write a textbook rather than write a popular book. But I think it is still appreciated. We, we need to write a book. This is part of our um, part, of, part of our evaluation, um, that we need to have a book published or a number of papers published. But the, there is a big pressure on papers. You write much more so than on the book.
0: And in, in the, our research area, for example, books aren't even really recognized at all.
1: You know, yeah, I noticed that they, in
0: psychology they seem to be far
1: yes, better yeah. um, accepted. Yes, yeah, so it, I think that it is something that um, is slowly going mm-hmm. in, coming into academia. I think that this, in the future I'd say this is mm-hmm. what we will see more of. I think that, um, I mean, on the logical, because I came from practice, into research, not from research, yeah. uh, primarily. I, I can see the value of it; incredible value of it. That's why I quit my job and, you know, started doing what I'm doing. But I think that some people don't recognize it as yet. Uh, but I think it will be recognized more and more. We will have to recognize it because what's the point in doing research otherwise? Yeah. Who are we doing it for?
0: Uh, and allowing the space for different people to play out. Different contributions to that. You know, some people may not want to do that public engagement so much, but um, you know, yeah, so allowing this sort of diversity and plurality of uh, that's of, very true contributions.
1: That's but very just,
0: true. Just um, because you know, I'm, I'm working in an academic context, and a lot of the people who are listening are working in an academic context. What would be, you know, looking at positive psychology and, and what you know about that what could be some of the things, you know, that we, that each of us could be doing in our workplaces to create a better workplace and make it better for one another? You know, like sort of the tea lady things or whatever.
1: I think that, first of all, uh, what would be really great is to stop working in silos and create lovely teams and they would not only be two big teams that are in one department. That's what we have in our department, mm-hmm. two separate teams. that are One that is kind of practical psychology, the other one is less practical. But I think there is more to it. And it's not only about working on a book together. It's about actually creating working teams to make a difference whatever that difference is uh, to other people and uh, go out there and talk to people about it I suppose that would create more communication and perhaps we would learn from each other much more another thing I suppose is to I think I quite liked what you said uh, that every one of us needs to play to our own strengths and some people might not feel comfortable to go out there and 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 perhaps talk about the research and how to apply it. But these teams, if we were working a little bit closer as a team, these teams would allow for this because then one person on the team would be able to communicate it because they have maybe strength in that. And I, I believe that this is my strength. This is I, I I I read research and my first thought is, how can I apply it? So that's how I think. But maybe somebody else might not think that way and somebody else is way better than me in maybe designing a study that's super duper and, you know, would my um, add massive value to people, except people don't know about it unless someone like me will talk to people about it. So Perhaps um, playing to your strengths is the second thing I would say uh, would be important, and uh, maybe that working in teams would yeah, allow for this, yeah. um, which to means happen. that we
0: also have to then know what our strengths are. And, yeah, and, so we're more reflective about what, where those strengths lie and, and what
1: fires us up. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, creating that awareness is is crucial, and and then getting people. It's just like that's what we did in business. We you know, I was good at one thing, somebody else was good at something else, and we would create teams on that basis. And sometimes um, we were even creating uh, teams on the basis of who is likely to start a project and finish it. And we would put two or three people together that we knew one is a great uh, initiator of things, um, great idea kind of uh, creator, and then another person is fantastic at the details, so we need to get them two working together. That is not happening in academia. Uh, I don't think, and I think we are we are more focused on our topics. how similar are topics, what type of ideas do you have? Can we work together on this yeah. but that's not only what it is about yeah.
0: so would you would you use some of the strengths finding tools um uh Oh, I've got a mental block
1: on the names.
0: Of oh, them. Uh, you mean VIA
1: and uh, so Finder and, and Realize2?
0: Yes, and some of those different strengths. So one of them is that um, Finder is more focused on label strengths more in terms of work team sort of strengths that would fit in a more of a workplace and VIA is more individual personal strengths and that. Yeah, would you I, use some of those tools or do you think that academics would accept using, trying them out?
1: I think that it would be hard for academics to try them out, but I think there is more to it than the stre- these strengths. These are more, character. some of them are character strengths, for example, like the VIA character strengths. Others are more focused on our, um, I suppose, our uh, preference for working in a certain way, like Realize too, And um and I think that there is a place for all of them. And um, there is also a place for just having a conversation about what are my strengths and then doing some of the tests from other people, from other psychologists that are, you know, they're great at it. What did I do when I was doing my PhD? I was I also did an additional um Um, It was like an interdisciplinary thing. So PhD students from three or four universities in Ireland got together to create, um, to do an entrepreneurial kind of a degree. And what they really wanted us to do is try and think of ways in which we can Um, create a business out of our topic, PhD topic. I thought it was a brilliant idea, so I wanted to be part of it. And one of the lecturers, actually, from Trinity College Dublin, who specialised in conflict management, came in to do uh, a day with us. And this was such a great eye-opener. And I, I always thought how great it would be to introduce it, for example, in academia, in our team, because they have... She basically talked to us about the research that she carried out on conflict there four different styles. She then asked us to complete a questionnaire to identify the style. And then she got us to work on a city project together. And she mixed us up. And we were all like, I, there was myself a psychologist, another person who was a philosopher, another person who was an engineer. And she gave us a project to do within two hours. And I remember when she said that, I thought, oh, Jesus, how will I work <laughs> with engineers? Like, I don't think like them. How will I work with a philosopher? They'll be philosophizing all the time. And I remember initially the thought was, "Oh, Jesus, it's going to be hard." And we had conflict. It was brilliant, but the awareness of how I deal with conflict, whether it is of uh, you know good or bad, that was so crucial in that on that team. And we actually won um, the whole competition that day. But um, I remember it was challenging for us. But the knowledge of it helped us a lot. If we could actually introduce something like this for academics and and this shouldn't come from UEL or from um, whatever other university it should come from the teams so the teams wanting to improve the work together and um, and maybe um, trying out some of the things that our colleagues are working on, like conflict management mm-hmm. and constantly developing our own yeah. personal skills yeah. in order to help us communicate yeah. better. I think that would make yeah. a huge difference.
0: Because we're too. often, we're not trained, you know, you're trained to do the research and have the ideas, as you said, but we're not trained to do all these other things that are really crucial around it that will create the new features. I've just realized uh, the time and we should time, probably know, look it's at stopping um as, do you have any f- other final thoughts that you'd like to put out there at all
1: um, I suppose the only final thought I have is just that it is really important to Live your life to the full, no matter what you do, how much work you spend, how you, so much time you're spending doing your work, just try and find a way to live your life to the full. And if work gives you satisfaction, like it gives me a lot of satisfaction, then make it a, a an integral part of your life. Um, but always make sure that no matter how much passion you have for anything, you need to also have balance and have passion for other things in your life and enjoy it just as much.
0: Yeah. So harmonious passion. Harmonious and passion. I, I love it.
1: <laughs> so,
0: thank you so much for the time. It's been great thank talking. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Jerry, for inviting me. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently.